1: Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley,
0: this is Cuda
1: Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of Cuda Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. In this episode, we'll recap the club's last three games with highlights as the team went 1-2 in over the week, finishing up the weekend with a victory over the white-hot Bakersfield Condor. <laughs> on Tuesday, the Barracuda would welcome in the San Diego Goals for the sixth meeting on the 10-game season series. At 9-26 of the opening period, the Barracuda would strike first as Southern California native Jake McGrew would light the lamp with his fifth of the year. There's a shot by Galant tipped just wide, picked up, centered in front, they score! Jake McGrew on the near side post, easy pickings, he taps it home, pass Frank Marat and the Barracuda take a 1-0 lead at the 9:26 mark. Still up 1-0 in the second period, San Diego managed to tie the game as former Barracuda and Shark defenseman Trevor Carrick would wire one in from the left point. Bo pulls up along the near side, sprints it for Carrick, winds up and scores! Trevor Carrick, the former Barracuda defenseman, tees went up from the left point. That puck looked like it changed direction, may have hit off the stick of Joachim Blickfeld. Then at 13.01 of the second period, Bryce Kindop would give San Diego its first lead. Here's a backhander by Kindop. It beats Sam Harvey through the five hole. And just like that, the San Diego goals have a two-to-one lead. In the waning seconds of the second period, down by a score of two-to-one, Joachim Blickfeld would light the lamp with his 12th of the season to tie it up at 2-2. Blickfeld, left side for Holmgauks. Jaden Holmgauks to the midpoint for Blickfeld. Waits it out, now he shoots, it's blocked. Goals doing a good job of getting shooting lanes. Another chance this time! Blickfeld scores! Joachim Blickfeld's initial shot was blocked, it comes back to him, this time he finds a shooting lane, And he beats Frank Marat. Despite going on a five-on-three power play in the third period, it was San Diego's Alex Lamoge who would break the deadlock at 16-21. John Leonard along the near side boards will flick one ahead. That's taken away by Prince. He'll step over the blue stripe into the offensive zone. He's got a man, works in, and they score. Alex Lamoge walks around Sam Harvey and beats him inside the near side post, and the San Diego goals take a 3-2 lead. I think Limoges was surprised he scored. Didn't get great wood on it. Harvey kind of got stuck flat-footed as he went from his left to his right to make the save. And Limoges finds the back of the net. He's got goals in back-to-back games after not scoring in seven straight. San Diego would seal the victory with an empty netter which is three seconds remaining in regulation off the stick of Beau Groot. backup back up ice time, winding down on the Barracuda. This time it is turned over, empty net, and they score. Bo grew from his own defending blue line is going to seal the victory for San Diego. On Saturday night, the Barracuda would hit the ice again, this time on the road against the Bakersfield Condors in a home and row Bakersfield entered Saturday's game riding a 10-game point streak and had wins in six straight games. The Condors would be without three of their top four scores, though, on Saturday. And the Barracuda would jump out to a 2 0 lead in the second period. At 2 02, John Leonard would light the lamp to get things started, his sixth of the year. Bice, scooped up by Nick Merkley, skates it down the left wing. Setters to the high slot. They score! What a snipe by John Leonard! Top shelf from the Barracuda draw, first blood, two minutes. And two seconds into the second. Leonard's got his sixth of the season. What a shot, as that puck may have ramped off of a Condor defending stick, but it whistles right under the crossbar and tickles the twine, and the Barracuda get that crucial first goal. And it comes early here in the second period. Then at 6.32, Joachim Blitfeld would give the Barracuda a two-goal edge with his 13th of the season and second goal in as many games. Trying to navigate around McPhee, down to the end line, put it off the pillow. Big rebound, Blickfeld! He scores! Well, it all started from a failed clear to up by the Condors. A great hold on the left point by Kenyaza, Funnels it rink wide for Hallway. Hallway navigates around McPhee, puts it on target, looking for a rebound. And that rebound is gobbled up by Blickfeld and punched home and the Barracuda have a two-goal lead. But the Condors would cut the lead in half later in the second period. At 11.41, highly touted forward Dylan Holloway would head man a feed to James Hamblin. Hamlin would move all alone in on goaltender Alexei Melnichuk and beat him on a forehand backhand move. Behind it because of the effort by all. And now Tim Schaller to that far side and Holloway will gallop through center. He'll play it ahead, a breakaway, backhand, scores! It's James Hamblin, he's got his fourth goal over his last three games, and the Condors have cut the lead in half. And what an outlet feed there from Dylan Holloway, put his head up, spotted a man, and it springs the speedster Hamblin all alone, and a little forehand, backhand finish, and it's a 2-1 lead now for the Barracuda. The Barracuda would take a 2-1 lead in the third period, but the Condors would score three consecutive goals on three shots. At 5.30, Devin Brousseau would carry the puck up the right wing after a Barracuda turnover, look to center it in front, and it would carry him off the shin guard of back-checking for Nick Merkley. And 23 seconds are now off the clock in the third. Still 2-1, Barracuda lead. Turnover, Brousseau, centers in front, and caroms off of Nick Merkley and in and we're tied at 2-2. Devin Brasseau is going to get credited with the goal. He was trying to center it in front. It came off of Merkley and passed Alexei Melnichuk. Tied at 2-2, Bakersfield would take its first lead just one minute and five seconds later as Vincent D'Arnais would light the lamp with this fourth of the year. Now Brasseau, centered in front, they score. Vinny D'Arnais pitching from the right point, three unanswered goals, and the Condors have their first lead of the night. No one accounted for the big long defenseman, and he just drifted from the right side and pounds one pass Alexei Melnichuk. Then at 9 Adam Cracknell would give Bakersfield a 4 2 lead with his fifth goal over his last three outings. a low by Holloway, near half wall for Cracknell. Right side, Broberg. Back for Holloway. Back for Broberg. Hands off, top right circle. Cracknell winds up and scores. Adam Cracknell's got five goals in his last three games it's a power play goal for the Condors and the Barracuda who had killed off 12 straight on the penalty kill give up a power play goal here and the Condors have scored four unanswered at 17:43, with the Barracuda net empty Bakersfield Condor forward Luke Esposito would take a roughing penalty putting the Barracuda onto a six on four power play while on the man advantage, John Leonard would make things interesting at 18:50 as he'd fire in his second of the game to cut the lead down to one. The goaltender, Rodrigue, back to the point. Kinyasa, below the right dot. John Leonard, back skates into the corner. Scans the ice with 1.50 remaining in regulation. 4-2 lead for the Condors. Leonard, turns, shoots, scores! Leonard's got his second of the night, and the Barracuda are within one. It's a power play goal for John Leonard, and the key to the goal is it comes 32 seconds into the power play, so still 1.45 left on the game clock. But it was too little too late, as Olivier Rodrigue was able to hold down the fort, and the Condors would pick up their sixth straight win, their second against the Barracuda in the last week, and in doing so, they extended their point streak to 11 straight games. The following night, the two teams would run it back, this time at the SAP Center, marking the first matchup between the two clubs at the Shark Tank since November 17th. The Barracuda won that game by a final score of 4-3, Joachim Blickfeld scored twice in that game, and Scott Reedy also added a pair of goals. At 5.39 of the opening frame, Jake McGrew would get things started with his sixth of the year. And out to the near side for Jake McGrew. McGrew will wheel it into the offensive zone. He's got Gallant shot on target. Good save. Secondary chance. McGrew scores. Gallant pulls the trigger and McGrew cleans it up in this combination of Jake McGrew. Zach Galant and Timory Ibrahimov, who was on the ice, really that combo of Galant and McGrew, have continued to provide offense over the last five or six games. Then at 1.21 of the second period, the Barracuda would go on to their first power play. And Scott Reedy would light the lamp for his 17th goal of the year and his AHL best 10th on the power play. Nick Merkley now for throw thrown on net. Staylock makes the save. Puck is loose. They score! it's a power play goal for scott reedy he's got 10 power play goals on the year and he continues to pace the ahl in that department just 15 seconds later mark alt would funnel a puck in on net and Timur ibrahimov would redirect it in for his first ahl goal to give the barracuda a three to nothing lead on the power play goal by scott reedy who's now up to 17 goals on the year to the right side mark Ault, tipped tip through they score Timor ibrahima has his first in the american hockey league and bang bang the barracuda have a 3 nothing lead but the pesky condors would again prove they were hard out at 7.42, the second period, Tim Schaller would fire in his sixth to cut the lead down to 3-1. To Put it right off the back of Gennaro as he was making a change. Now poked along, one-handed ahead by Kandasiv. Turnover forced down the right wing. Holloway works, and they score. Patrick Holloway centers it to a trailing forward, Tim Schaller. And Schaller snaps it past Zach Sachenko, and Kenazza can't get it out of the zone, and it ends up in San Jose's net. Then in 1853 of the second period, Rafael Lavois off a faceoff one by Luke Esposito would snap one over the right shoulder of Zach Sachenko to make it a 3-2 Barracuda lead. Of the save, all that much more, there's a shot off the faceoff, they score! The wide complete missile off the faceoff drop beats Satchenko over the right shoulder, perfectly placed. Any comeback hopes though for the Condors were dashed at 4:04 for the third period, as Joachim Blickfeld would make it goals in three straight games with this 14th of the year. 16:05 remaining in the third period, it's a 3-2 Barracuda lead. Now Holmgåwaks pokes it free. Could be a two-on-one. He's got Blickfeld. The two work into the zone. Feathers for Blickfeld. He scores come Blickfeld, goals and three straight games as he used the flex of the stick. The puck was near his skates. He just kind of leaned into it and snaps one through Stalock. Two minutes and 27 seconds later, John Leonard would light the lamp for the third time over the last two games to give the Barracuda a 5-2 lead. From left to right, carries it with speed through neutral. Into the offensive zone, 4-2 lead for the Barracuda. Leonard, he scores! John Leonard, who scored twice last night. Zach Sachenko would pick up the win, stopping 35 of the 37 shots he faced in his first AHL action since December 17. The losing goaltender, former Shark Alex Stalock, who had not appeared in a game since August of 2020. When we come back, we'll be joined by Barracuda defenseman Patrick Hallway. This is Cuda Confidential. Now, back to the action. Barracuda Hockey continues
2: now. Pleased to be joined by Barracuda defenseman Patrick Hallway. Patrick, first of all, thank you so much for the time. Let's jump right into it. We go back to December 10th. You're a member of the South Carolina Stingrays in the ECHL. All of a sudden, you find out you're getting signed to a PTO with the Barracuda. You're on the West Coast. You're back in the American Hockey League. And I guess the rest is history. You've been a great addition to the team so far. Take us back, though, to uh, to early December when you are in the ECHL and you find out that San Jose is called and you're going back to the American Hockey League where you started your pro career last year in Grand Rapids.
0: Yeah, uh, it's obviously exciting, you know, getting called up. It's pretty much what every player is wanting to do as they go through their career um, until they reach the NHL, obviously. But uh, yeah, it was just very exciting getting the opportunity to come out here and uh, try and showcase what I can do.
2: Did you have any expectation to get back to the AHL or were you just kind of going through the process of being in South Carolina? It's a great town, especially in that ECHL. Um, They support the team really well. They've won championships there. So were were you just focused on the task at hand or did you have thoughts, maybe I could get back up to
0: the AHL this season? Um, Obviously my goal is to, you know, keep moving up in, uh, you know, kind of the ladder in terms of the league that you're in. But um, South Carolina is an awesome spot and I enjoyed every minute I was there, uh, the staff, the team, uh, the ownership, they treated everyone great. So uh, my, I was definitely focused there when I was there. But in the back of my head, I always wanted to uh, move up.
2: I don't know if you were aware of this, but when you were signed, you were actually the sixth defenseman this year alone that was signed to a PTO by the Barracuda. Yet you're the one still sticking around. And that's a great testament to the way that you have played and been able to fit right in. When you came in originally on the PTO, did you have any expectations? Did you have any goals? Like what was the mindset coming into San Jose and just trying to find a niche?
0: Um, So I had played my first year pro in uh, Grand Rapids a little bit. So I had some AHL experience. And um, really, I just wanted to focus on playing my game, not being nervous and uh, just being confident and making plays and um, just kind of playing your own game. I find a lot of guys struggle with, you know, playing with confidence. If they get called up, they're nervous. um, They don't want to make mistakes. And obviously you don't, but at the same time, you need to showcase what you can do. So you got to be able to make plays and help out the team.
2: You played four years of college hockey. You actually had a season off in between uh, due to NCAA transfer rules. So you come into the pro level and you're 25 years old, a little bit older, but that also means you've got a lot of experience. And you mentioned sometimes guys are a little bit nervous and you come into a situation and you don't want to make a mistake. Did you rely on the fact that you are a little bit more of an experienced player when you came into this situation, almost playing with house money when you're coming in on a
0: PTO? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there aren't many expectations. You're just kind of, you're supposed to go in for a weekend or two help out the team and then go back to your, uh, East Coast team or wherever you came from. But um, I was definitely looking to uh, take advantage of this situation. Looks like I have done decent so far.
2: Yeah, You're still sticking around and I know the coaching staff has been really happy with your game and you've been a nice addition and there's been guys who've went up and there's been guys who've in, been injured and that you find yourself in the lineup on on a nightly basis, despite a little bit of a, a absence in the lineup, given the fact that you were one of many on the COVID-19 mm-hmm. protocol list. Did you know anybody in San Jose? Was there any connection that you had with anybody within the organization when you were signed? Because what often players are brought in on PTOs. They are not signed to an NHL or an AHL contract, so it's a little bit different of a shrunken pool, but they tend to have a connection to the organization. Did you have any to San Jose? Um,
0: Nothing particular, nothing too strong. Um, I know there are some Massachusetts guys up in the front office or in the scouting department. So um, I think they've had looks at me growing up and throughout my career, and I think that might have helped out a little bit.
2: Being here in San Jose now, you're getting a little bit more comfortable with the city. What has been your favorite part about being in the Bay Area now that you've been here for a little over a month?
0: Um, it's been pretty interesting. I haven't been able to get out of the hotel too much, you know, not trying to venture out uh, with COVID and everything, but uh, it's a fun little city so far. I like going out. I grab meals, um, go to top golf courses, stuff like that. Um, I haven't been able to do too much, though. I would definitely like to get out and experience a little bit more of the city. We're talking
2: to Barracuda defenseman, Patrick Hallway. I want to go back to the summertime. So you were drafted by Detroit. You finish up your collegiate career. You play on an ATO, an amateur tryout agreement for the final six games last year. So you got a taste of the pro level, but then you don't sign with the Griffins or the Red Wings. So now you're a free agent. You end up signing in South Carolina. Walk us through how you ended up getting linked up with the Stingrays.
0: Um, my agent, uh, my current, uh, knows a lot of people in the organization. He kind of set it up for me, and I trust him fully in the direction that he thinks I should go in. And, um, you know, it seemed like a good fit. It's a good spot to live in. Can't complain about Charleston. So, um, yeah, I went with it. And, you know, luckily it worked out for me.
2: Take us back to the six games with Grand Rapids. That's a great American Hockey League city. We've spent a lot of time in Grand Rapids playing the Griffins. It, they have great fan support. Of course, you're, you're under the umbrella of an original six team. What did you uh, take away from that experience? What was it like to play in your first AHL action playing into Grand Rapids?
0: <laughs> uh, it was definitely fast coming out of college, you know had to kind of read and react a little bit quicker than you were used to. But um, I think come the end of the season, I was able to start to pick up my game and figure it out a little bit more and keep up with the pace. And um, yeah, I think Grand Rapids is an awesome city and they definitely helped me develop and uh, told me what I needed to work on to improve.
2: you spent your first two years at Maine, then you sat out a year and then you finished up your collegiate career at Merrimack, which is about an hour or so, maybe an hour and a half from your hometown. Uh, So you you came a little bit closer to home. I'm sure that was quite the thrill, but they're both in hockey East. So was it weird to to be now on the the opposing side of things? What was that all like once you finally sat out the year and you got to play your junior and senior season at Merrimack?
0: Yeah, it was definitely a little weird, but uh, it was fun. You know, I got up, got to go up to Orono again play in front of those great fans and a bunch of my old teammates. So um, I love my time there. I love my time in Merrimack as well. And um, it was cool. I got to experience both sides of it, playing in that loud rink. And uh, it was really fun.
2: So tell me how you pronounce your hometown. Is it Cohasset? Cohasset. Okay. And it's a small town from what I was looking up. It's just under 10,000. It's a little coastal town. So what was it like growing up uh, there? And, you know, how how was the hockey support and the youth hockey programs? How was that all like?
0: Um, So I grew up, my older brother played hockey. He kind of set the foundation of, you know, where to go and how to, you know, grow as a youth hockey player. So my dad had kind of figured out that. I started off with uh, just playing town hockey. And then uh, I think when I was around six or seven, I started moving over to, you know, more competitive leagues and, uh, things like that. Um, Coasset was fun though. It's a nice town, the summertime. It's very nice. Uh, enjoy it there. Winter can get a little dreary sometimes, but, um, yeah, no hockey support there was good. My family is awesome. Has always supported me throughout my career. So I've had a great, uh, upbringing in that town.
2: What was it like in the summertime? You mentioned that the winters get pretty cold in Chile. I'm not, I'm sure you're not doing too much in the winter time, but in the summer, are you getting on the water? You know, do your friends have boats? Are you fishing? What are you doing in the summers?
0: Oh yeah. Normally most of the time we'll try and get up early, go fishing, what have you, go out on the boats, tubing, wakeboarding, whatever you want. You know, we try to, try to reach out, branch out and extend what we can do, have some fun there. But, uh, yeah, it's awesome in the summer.
2: Did you play any other sports as a kid? You're a bigger guy at six foot five, and I'm sure, sure your parents got you into lots of different sports. Uh, did you play any as a kid, and were there any other sports that really drew your interest?
0: Yeah, uh, I grew up when I was really young. I played soccer, baseball, the whole deal, but I actually played lacrosse all the way through uh, my senior year of high school.
2: And was it a tough decision to kind of part ways with lacrosse, or was it easy just because you had more of a future in hockey?
0: Um, it was pretty easy for me. I knew hockey was uh, always my route. And uh, I did love lacrosse. I had a lot of fun with it, but a little bit too much running for me. What position did you play in lacrosse? Uh, I was a long stick
2: midi. So, did you find yourself uh, seeing parallels between, between the two sports? And is that why it kind of drew you to lacrosse, the physicality and just the similarities?
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'd like to think as myself as like kind of an offensive puck moving defenseman, being a long stick midi is uh, pretty much exactly that. So, I think they correlate pretty well
2: kind of breaking the puck out similar leading leading the offense from from the back end a little bit yeah um, I want to ask you a little bit you spent one year in the USHL and, and I was curious and why you just you did the one season there was it given the fact that you're still playing hockey was there any any reason why you only played the one year in the USHL
0: so uh, I finished I aged out of uh, u-18 hockey I wanted to play out my year with uh, Boston Advantage out of my hometown kind of right next to it but um I played there my last u18 year I didn't quite feel the need to go off to uh, junior hockey that year. And then I went out the year after. It wasn't my best year, I'd say. I struggled a little bit away from home. It was my first time. And um, then after that, I kind of dialed it back in and picked it up after that year.
2: Had you already committed to Maine before you went to the USHL, or did you commit during that season?
0: Yeah, I uh, I was committed and uh, drafted by Detroit before I went out to juniors that year.
2: Was that something from a developmental standpoint that you thought before I go play NCAA hockey, I should probably get a year of USHL experience just because of the level and the and the type of
0: talent in that league? For sure. I and mean, I was going into Hockey East as well, so I mean, you have some top tier talent on those teams like BU, BC. So um, yeah, it's definitely. I've seen a lot of guys go into college too fast. Uh, I haven't really seen too many guys go too slow. So. No rush to get into school.
2: You you mentioned it was kind of a tough year for you. Maybe not as much success as you hoped for, but did you learn a lot? Was it a huge developmental uh, thing for you going into that first year of college?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I lost a little bit of confidence that year in juniors, but I had got to school and kind of just developed the fact that, you know, you're going to have to work to get your ice, to get what you want. It's never just going to be given to you, especially at this level. So I just kind of put the hard hat back on, went to work, and luckily it paid off. So you're drafted by the Red Wings, as you mentioned.
2: It had to be a thrill. And I'm sure you were a Bruins fan growing up, being where you grew up, and it's an original 16. But you get drafted by another original 16 in the Red Wings. Did you have any inkling that Detroit was interested in you? And if you will, uh, kind of take us back to draft day, what you remember about draft day, and I'm sure that was quite the thrill.
0: Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. I, I mean, they had called a couple of days before the draft and mentioned, you know, if things work out, we'll, we might take you. we have a good look at you. But um, no, I actually... Didn't really watch the draft. I didn't want to get my hopes up, and then kind of be let down after. So I just didn't even watch it. My phone was actually off, and then my agent ended up calling my dad, and that's how I found out. So what what happened when your dad told you was were you were you pretty oh, excited? Well, I was right next to him, so he just kind of screamed, and then I put two and two together after that. But yeah, it was a cool moment for sure. When did you realize
2: that you had a professional? future in the sport of hockey when did scouts start you know lurking around and you start getting an idea that maybe i have a chance to play at the next level
0: um i would say probably when i was around 16 17 maybe i hit a pretty good growth spurt and then uh obviously that kind of catches some people's eye and uh grew into my body skills kind of came along and i think yeah probably 16 17 i was uh probably starting to get some good looks
2: you mentioned you have a brother who played you also have a sister. Where do you get the size from which parent and does your brother have the similar size? Is your sister taller or is it just you the the one off
0: uh, no my dad's pretty tall he's about the same height uh he claims he was six five that he lost an inch or two throughout the years but um yeah he's a little bit shorter than me. my brother's like six two so he's still pretty big. He's a little bit stockier of a guy um I got the kind of tall glass of water Build. Did your dad play any sports as a kid? Where, where's the athletic background come from? Yeah. So my dad actually played football growing up all through college and hockey as well. He played at BU back in the day when you could do both of those things. And uh, so he was definitely an athlete. Uh, my mom's tall as well she's about five eight so I get a nice mix from both of them
2: did you ever think about BU is that even in the cards I know it's a tough school to uh to get recruited to at a hockey at the hockey level but was that ever something that you had a
0: desire to to accomplish with play there or did you not yeah. even think about it yeah so um those were pretty much that was, was between Maine and uh BU those were my last two schools and you know my dad wasn't the happiest at the time but I he He was a great father, let me make my own decision on where I wanted to go. And um, he supported me through and through. And I think he was definitely a Maine fan when I was there. What about Maine was so desirable? What made you make that choice? Um, I love the rink. I love the uh, old school type of feel that the college campus had. Um, I wasn't too into, you know, living in a city in Boston. I thought there would just be too much going on for me. Uh, I wanted to go up and just focus on school and my game what was it like to be
2: drafted by an original 16, the support from the franchise, just how things are operated? I know you never played for the Red Wings, but you did go through several development camps, I'm sure. So what was it like to be immersed in the organization?
0: It's really cool. It uh, gave you like a firsthand look of what a very serious you know, professional team, how they're run and how you have to act both on and off the ice. So, um, I mean, they gave me a great read on how I need to handle myself in this environment.
2: We're talking to Patrick Hallway, Barracuda defenseman on Barracuda background. I want to ask, when was your earliest hockey memory? When was the first time you remember lacing up the skates? And maybe it was your mom or your dad tying up the skates, but when was the first time that you remember playing playing hockey, getting on the ice?
0: Oh, well, I, I got on pretty young. My dad had me on skates around two, two and a half. So I think mainly just having him push me around the ice as I was holding on to one of those crates. I remember we used to do that a couple times a week once or twice a week and uh, always enjoy it.
2: Yeah, the crates or the buckets, I know at Shark Says they've got buckets for the little kids to, to be able to balance and, and learn how to skate on the, on the blades, which obviously can be a challenge when you're first starting out. You grew up just, uh, what, 30 minutes outside of Boston, so you kind of nodded when I said you probably grew up as a Boston Bruins fan. Did you go to games as a kid? Was there anybody on the Bruins that you kind of idolized as a youngster?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, love Bergeron. Still do. Uh, Chara. You know, we had Boston had a great core group of guys, veterans that have been there for a while and uh, always seem to be doing the right things both on and off the ice. So they're great guys to kind of look up to and admire as a young young player. As a young
2: guy training in the off seasons, did you ever get a chance to skate with any of those guys? Did
0: you ever run into any of them? Um, not so much. Uh, we had a good group of kind of my age kids that we would all skate that were uh, on the same path uh, going from, you know, U18 to junior in college. So Around that age, we had a good group of kids, and a lot of them are all playing pro now. So that's who I was uh, mainly skating with in the offseason.
2: You mentioned you played for Boston Advantage. That was your tier hockey team that you grew up playing for in the Boston area. What was it like playing uh, in Boston with so much uh, saturated hockey talent uh, in that area? What was it like growing up there and playing? Um, it,
0: was, it was fun. We, a lot of teams, obviously a lot of competition. It was uh, it's kind of split between high school and travel massachusetts i'm like you know you have places like minnesota where it's all high school and then michigan where it's all like travel so uh kind of get a mix it's always a battle of deciding what you're going to do with your career and uh i went the the triple route and uh i loved every minute of it uh the guys there tim Lovell, the owner and everyone who works there they're great people and uh they treated everyone extremely well and Definitely some of my best friends to this day. A big
1: thank you to Patrick Hallway for joining us on this episode of Cuda Confidential. A reminder, the Barracuda are back on the ice bright and early on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. for Cuda Classroom Day. Wednesday will mark the first of three straight against the Ontario Reign, as the two teams will play again on Thursday at the SAP Center at 7 o'clock and then again next Monday in Southern California. We'll have pregame coverage on the Sharks Audio Network starting at 9.30 a.m. on Wednesday, and you can watch the game at AHL TV. That'll do it for this episode of Cuda Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening, and so long until next time.